Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the things that we're learning, the things that you're teaching us, the, thing, the fellowship that we're having together. And Lord, in this class, we just ask that you will guide and direct my thoughts and words and those of those who are here. Lord, if, if I'm going to say anything, I shouldn't guard my lips. And I just pray that this time together will be profitable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, how many of you grow your own transplants? Okay, quite a few. How many of you are satisfied with the transplants you're producing? Okay, a few. That's good. Um, I hope, I'm going to try to keep this simple, this is supposed to be a beginner class, but I hope that there's just a few simple things that I'm going to share this morning that I think will improve the quality of your transplants tremendously. And let's just start with a quote to, to ground us here. The cultivation of the soil, the sowing of the seed, the care bestowed on the seed by the sower represent different stages of Christ's work for the soul. First appears the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. So as we talk this morning, I want you to be taking the things I'm saying and applying them in the spiritual realm. And I think specifically, starting transplants is a lot like parenting and working with young children. What kind of environment do you want for your children? So the beauty of the natural world is God has all his spiritual lessons there. If you're trying to understand something in the natural world, look to the spiritual and apply it in the natural and vice versa. If you're trying to figure out something in the spiritual world, the natural world has the answers for you. Okay, so let's get into it. Why use transplants? Just quickly, um, number one, it lengthens your growing season. I think that's clear, you know, especially things like tomatoes. If you plant a tomato seed outside when it's warm enough, you know, some places you're, you're lucky to get mature fruit before the first frost. So it just lengthens your growing season. This is a picture of our starter house in mid-March. Those are all tomato and pepper plants ready to go out. We've just added eight weeks, eight to ten weeks to our growing season. It ensures a full bed, no skips. You know, if you direct seed, you know how it is. You often have spotty germination and if you're like me, you know, a little bit on the OCD side, it's like, oh, I just hate that. You know, there's all these, all these empty spots and it's wasted space, especially if you have a small garden. You can't afford to have a bunch of bare ground. Um, helps you use your garden space more efficiently. You know, um, if, if you're on top of your game, and you pull out, you know, you harvest your lettuce, then you could have transplants ready to go immediately where those, that lettuce came out. 
And so it's a much more efficient way to use your garden space. Also, a strong, healthy transplant is better able to withstand pests and diseases as compared to direct seeding. I don't know if you've had this experience, but um, you know, you, you direct seed, I've, I've really had this a lot with beets. You know, you direct seed beets and you're waiting, okay, where are they? And then, oh, there's one there, you know, I see one or two. And then the next day it's, wh where, where did they go, you know? <laughs> It's, it's like they start disappearing after they've just come up. Um, there's a lot, you know, it's a, it's a big bad world out there. A lot of things that are after your little seedlings. So, and then of course, this is a huge one. Gives you a huge jump on weeds. How many of you had the experience, you go out and you seed your garden and um, you come back a week later and it's like, whoa, it's green. It's really green. And I know my plants are in here somewhere and you're trying to figure out, okay, that's a weed, that's a weed. I think that may be a plant. And your weeds have already won the battle unless you're super, super perseverant. But with, with uh, a transplant, you can have it cleanly cultivated. You put your transplant in, you can cultivate the next day if you want. You know exactly where your plants are. There's just so many good reasons. And I'll just tell you, market gardeners um, make their living on using transplants. We direct seed the absolute minimum we can. Everything we can transplant, we do. We transplant beets, we transplant corn, sweet corn. All our sweet corn is transplanted. Now, why grow your own transplants? Well, it saves money. Now, I'm gonna you know, be talking about equipment that's really helpful and, and it can be a fairly hefty initial investment, but you know, do you buy all your transplants at the store? I mean, if you do and you're getting quality transplants, it can be hundreds of dollars just for one season. Um, so it definitely can save money. You get more variety. You know, you go to the store and you get what they, you know, broccoli. Well, what kind of broccoli? There's dozens of different kinds of broccoli. Better quality. I, I can produce better quality trans, and, and I say I, the Lord is blessing my efforts. I don't want to take credit myself, but, um, you know, I've never found transplants as good as what we can grow. Um, and then, uh, this is a big one, grow and plant on your schedule, not when the box stores have the plants. You know, I'm from Tennessee. And in Tennessee, I, I guess it would be the same here, but you know, we, we can have spring cool weather crops and then fall. But in the fall, we have to, you know, we have to be sowing our brassicas, our broccoli cabbage by the 1st of July. So that means they're ready to transplant by the end of July. Where, where do you find broccoli transplants at the end of July? Well, 
you know, people ask me, I, I, I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know where you're going to find them. Usually, in our area, by, um, you know, by the time it starts getting cool, August or September, you'll find a few transplants. But I hate to tell you, it's too late by then. And so they're just making money off you. They're selling you all these plants that are never going to mature unless maybe you have a greenhouse and they might mature in a greenhouse at that point. So you can set your own schedule. And of course it's fun, you know, especially if you have children or something. This is great. This is, you know, every time those seeds pop out of the soil, it's like, wow, this is amazing. It's a miracle. Okay, so I, I have three challenges that I think you are going to identify with. I think the first two, I think, are the big ones. Spindly or leggy transplants. How many have had this problem? Many of you. Okay, what about damping off? You know about damping off? Basically, the seed comes up. And then one day you go out there and it's just fallen over. It's gone. Have you had that problem? Okay, quite a number of you. Um, lack of balanced fertility. It's just the, the plants don't thrive. Anybody? Okay, a few. So I, I think those are the main ones. And fortunately, they're pretty easy to solve. Now... <laughs> I apologize, you know, I, gar farmers don't take pictures of their sick plants. <laughs> so I couldn't find, I couldn't, I, I don't have pictures of damping off or leggy transplants, but I just came across this and I thought it was a pretty picture. This is my, my daughter and my daughter-in-law with my daughter um, loves to grow flowers. So, how do you get leggy starts? Well, almost always it's a lack of light. Sometimes it could be also a combination of too much heat. You know, if you've got things in a high heat humidity environment, that can kind of force them to get too leggy. And this is the key. Window sills never produce enough light. I don't care if it's a south-facing window. I've never seen a healthy transplant grown on a windowsill. Is that clear? <laughs> You've got to add supplemental light. So, simple solution. Now, um, I'll just say... You know, LED is the new thing now, and so there's a lot of LED grow lights, and I tried to do some research on that. I have not used them myself. Um, you know, I couldn't find a lot of concrete information. I do know that from what I read, LED lights you don't have to have as close to the plants. But I, I guess I'm just going to tell you, if you, if you want to use LED lights, you're going to have to do your own research because I'm not familiar with that. But a simple solution is just fluorescent shop lights. You know what I mean by that? Four foot long, just two fluorescent bulbs. 
you really don't even have to get special light bulbs. You know, you can buy special grow light bulbs and stuff. And it, it's probably good, but it'll work just fine with standard fluorescent bulbs. And, and this is the key. This far above your plants. Yeah. I mean, basically just so they're not touching. You don't want them touching the plant. But if it's this far, this far, this far, it's too high. You're not, they're not going to get enough light. They literally have to be inch to two inches above your plant at the most. So obviously your plants are growing. You've, you've got to keep raising the lights. Okay, we've got a question. Can you save it? I, I'm sorry, but I just, I want to make sure I get through this stuff and then, then we'll try to have time for questions at the end. Let's see, this class ends at 1030, right? Okay, so, um, and I, I've got a lot more detailed information on the handouts that I hope will be coming before the class is over. Normally, people grow in what's called a 1020 tray. Uh, basically, it's approximately 10 feet or 10 inches wide by 20 inches long. And so, if you have two shop lights next to each other, it will cover pretty well the 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 length of a 1020 tray. So you can fit four under a four foot shop light. And then on the handout, I also give links to websites which will give you all the materials to build a cart. You know, you can just buy one of those metal rolling carts from, from Lowe's or Costco or wherever, and those can easily be fitted with the, with the lights. You can grow hundreds. I mean, in fact, for most home gardeners, that's way overkill. But... Um, you can grow a lot of your own microgreens in the wintertime and stuff. You know, Dr. Teske didn't talk about microgreens, but everything I've heard is that they're as nutritious or maybe more nutritious than, than full greens. So it's an investment, but it will pay for itself over time. Okay, so then once seeds have germinated, so... Uh, there's just too much to talk about, but well, we'll talk about temperature a little more in just a minute. But um, you know, you you need warm temperatures for germination, and you can look online and find charts for different crops. Or if you get the Johnny's catalog, for every crop in there, it has a little graph showing the ideal temperature for germination but basically you know 70 degrees for most I mean that's kind of minimum for most plants um, tomatoes and peppers and eggplant the heat loving ones it's going to be more like 80 or a little higher so if you're trying to start them in your basement chances are you really don't have your temperatures high enough you don't want it too high but 70s kind of minimum and there are a few things like spinach and lettuce which will do okay with less but 
but yeah, just shoot for 70 degrees. Um, petting the plants can also help to stiffen their stems. You know, it's not going to counterbalance um, a leggy transplant. If you don't have enough light, you can pet it all you want, and it's still going to um, be leggy. But, you know, plants were, were meant to have some movement from wind and whatever, and we're going to talk about fans in just a minute. But just, just lightly petting with, with tomatoes, you know. Good morning, how are you? You just <laughs> pet them. And, and so let me, again, I think this is on the handout. I, I put a lot on the handout that I don't have time to go through here. But as far as the amount, the, the hours of light, Different people will tell you different things, but basically, I would say just do what's good for humans. You need about eight hours of sleep. Give your plants eight hours of darkness. You know, the simple thing there, just get a, a simple timer. So, because you're always going to forget, oh, you know, I forgot to turn the lights on. Just have a timer to turn your lights on and off. Give them eight hours of sleep at night, and then they'll be ready to grow the next day. Okay, so that's leggy starts. It's that simple. Just give them more light. You're not giving them a enough light. And pet them. Yeah, now, you know, that petting, I think, is specifically good for tomatoes which of course is gonna be one of your main transplants, but now you're wanting to grow greens. I've never petted my greens, but <laughs> they'd probably like it, I don't know. <laughs> Damping off, okay, this one's a little bit more complicated, but um, I don't know if you can see the picture, but this is just one example of, uh, damping off is actually caused by a number of soil-borne fungal species and you don't really have to worry what kind it is. You just need to worry if you have it. And it's almost always, from my experience, caused from overwatering, too much water. But it can also be lack of proper air circulation. And it's not just too much water. It's specifically, well, we're going to come to it here. So poor soil drainage is kind of related to that, but that's a good reason why you need to have a good mix. You don't just go out and get soil from your garden to use as your potting mix uh, because that soil could well have the fungus in it. Cool soil temperatures. This is a big one. Um, these, oh, I thought I had something else on that, but these fungal species um, thrive at temperatures under 50 degrees. So if you have your, your transplants in too cool a place, or if you're watering them with really cold water, you're just encouraging the, um, the fungal pathogens. Does that make sense? So let's talk about solutions. Here's another picture. I don't know if have you, any of you seen anything like that. You may not be able to see it, but the stem just kind of shrivels up 
Now, it may not actually even kill the plant, but the plant is never going to be healthy. It will always be compromised. You're better off composting it. So, here are some simple solutions. Use a soilless peat or core-based potting mix. So again, as I said, a lot of people try to cut corners and just um, go out to the garden and dig up some soil and, and start their things in there. But if you want to be safe, start with the soilless mix. It's not going to have those fungal pathogens in it. Now that doesn't mean they're not going to show up because as we learned, those who were in the Tuesday seminar, they're everywhere. You're not going to, you're not going to isolate your plants from them. So start with a good potting mix. Let the soil dry out some between watering. And, and when I talk about dry out, I'm not talking about bo bone dry, but I'm talking about, I don't know how to describe it, but um, just barely moist. You know, don't think that they have to be sopping wet because chances are you're going to get damping off if they stay too wet. I tell people more plants are killed, more transplants, starting plants are killed by overwatering than underwatering. So really, really be careful about the watering. Keep plants in water warm. So here's where I had that. Um, you know, again, it, um, plants don't like cold water. Use a small fan for air circulation. Now, I'll tell you, I've never done this. I've never really felt the need. If you do everything else, you may not. But if you have continuing problem with damping off, you can buy, you know, a little clip-on fan. You don't want, you know, a big box fan blowing a hurricane on the thing. You're just wanting to, to give enough circulation that you're drying the plants out. They're not staying moist. Of course, that also is, is moving them, so you don't have to pet them that way. But you can still if you want. Um, so that may be something you need to go to. Like I say, I've never had to go to that. From my experience, it's the temperature, the cold temperature, and too much water. If you monitor those two things, I can almost guarantee you will not have issues. Now, I mentioned one thing here, actinovate. Have any of you heard of actinovate? Um, there may be other things that work. I know um, the other day we were talking about root shield. Somebody was talking about root shield. These are um, beneficial, I don't know what they are, some kind of beneficial microorganisms that I, I have used actinovate and I know it works. I've seen it work. But again, as, as we learned the other day, um, they work better as a preventative. If you have a full-blown damping off problem, it's too late to be putting on actinovate. I have found we were having issues with um, 
sclerotinia in our baby lettuce. And um, when, we, when we drenched it with actinovate after the sclerotinia had already started, it, it didn't solve the problem. But when we drenched the beds at seeding and did it, I think we did it twice, you know, then and then like a week later, we didn't have any problems. So it does work, but I would say only use something like that. And again, I'm not saying this is the only, only solution, but only use that if you've done these other things and it's still not working for you. But I can almost guarantee that those other things will solve your problems. Okay, so just a little bit of lack of balanced fertility. This is a, a tomato plant with, does anybody know what kind of deficiency that is? Phosphorus deficiency. Um, you know, if you're a home gardener, you're probably not going to want to be fiddling with, you know, trying to add different nutrients to your plants. Um, I don't even want to be fiddling with that. So we use a professional potting mix, and I've just put up here what we use, Berger OM1. It's an organic mix, and we get great transplants with it. Um, I don't know how readily available, you know, it's a, it's a French-Canadian brand. I, I tried to do a little research on what's available in this part of the country, and I, I didn't really, I, I didn't know exactly where to look. And so, you know, you may not have access to Berger, so what I would say, find the organic potting mixes that are available here, and do a little experiment, you know, plant the same kinds of seeds in two or three different kinds of potting mix and see which works the best for you. You know, different mixes will have different fertility charges in them. You know, I, and, and a lot of professional growers, I, I've talked to the, the companies that make this potting mix and they say, you know, well, we, some of them say we don't put much fertility in it because we want the growers to be able to do their own based on what they're growing and stuff. And, and that's great for the big guys, you know, who are growing acres of poinsettias or something. But, you know, for us, I just want something that's going to take my plants through to transplanting without having to be adding more fertility. And, and this mix has done that for us. Also on the handout that by faith you will be receiving, um, I give a recipe for a, a homemade potting mix that we, for years and years, we made our own potting mix. And it worked great, I mean, just as well as this. But it's a lot of work, especially when you're doing thousands of transplants and um, it was based on the, the nitrogen fertility was blood meal. I haven't had time to do my own research, but people I respect are 
kind of encouraging you to stay away from blood meal. Um, so, you know, I don't know that I could, I could justify it from a biblical point of view, because there's life in the blood. But I think from a health point of view, maybe I know some of the mad cow and some of that, you can do your own research. So anyway, we, we got away from that. Um, never skimp on container size. So it may not be a lack of fertility in your soil. It may just be a lack of soil. You know, you can't grow a big transplant with a little container size. There's just not enough fertility in there. So make sure your container size balances the kind of plant you're trying to grow. Does that make sense? Don't overwater. You know, some of these uh, nutrients are water soluble and they're just going to, if you overwater it, you're just going to leach it right out of your mix. And then, this is a big one, pot on or transplant at the ideal size or time. You know, if, I mean, we grow brassica transplants usually three weeks. I mean, it varies a little bit on the time of the year. But, and, and they'll be okay for four weeks. But if we wait five or six weeks to, to transplant them, they're not going to be looking very good anymore. They've run out of nitrogen. They, they're just not healthy looking. So you ideally want to either pot them on or transplant them at the ideal size and time. That's kind of the end of my problem solving. And then I'm going to go into the system we use. Okay, so let's go on to what's worked best for us. And um, I, I share this with you because I think that on a home scale, this is a great solution. On a commercial scale, there's a lot of uh, naysayers against using soil blocks. Let me just mention this book, Elliot Coleman. The New Organic Grower. It's subtitled A Master's Manual of Tools and Techniques for the Home and Market Gardener. So it's kind of geared more for market gardening, but there's a lot of good information in here for a serious home gardener. Um, this is the book that I had when I started out. This is the only book I had, you know, 25 years ago when I was starting a garden. And he's got a whole chapter on soil blocks and the benefits of them. So he could convince you a lot better than I can. So the only thing I'm going to say to convince you is that um, my boys and I did a tour of, of some of the top market gardens of the country um, a couple of years ago. We went up the East Coast and visited... Um, yeah, a lot of the, the big market gardens, most successful. And Elliot Coleman's transplants at his farm were hands down superior to any other transplants I saw. And he's the only one using soil blocks. 
So the argument on a, a market garden scale is they're too, um, it, it takes too much time to make them. They're not efficient enough. You can't mechanize the system enough. But for a home gardener, that's not, probably not a concern of yours. You know, you're wanting to have fun doing it. And so I, I would highly recommend using soil blocks. Again, I'm not trying to say this is the only way or that you're, you're going against, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be dogmatic about it, but it works well for me. Soil blocks. Well, I'm going to explain it here and just, I, um, these are some of the benefits. Highest quality transplants, they have more soil volume, um, usually two to three times the soil volume of a standard plug tray of a similar size. And when I say a similar size, I mean like a, a 72 count tray or whatever, you know, the, if you do a similar amount of soil blocks, it's much more soil. So, you know, on a commercial scale, people are thinking, well, yeah, that's a lot more money I'm spending on soil mix, potting mix. But as Elliot Coleman says, you know, to scrimp on this is, is not a real savings. And I had a quote here, I think, this is a big one, but there's, there's something in here that to me is, is an argument for, for soil blocking. And I'll just read it. Let's see, how's our time coming? Yeah, I think we're good. In the cultivation of the soil, the thoughtful worker will find that treasures little dreamed of are opening up before him. No one can succeed in agriculture or gardening without attention to the laws involved. The special needs of every variety of plant must be studied. Different varieties require different soil and cultivation, and compliance with the laws governing each is the condition of success. Now notice this sentence in particular, the attention required in transplanting that not even a root fiber shall be crowded or misplaced. The care of the young plants, the pruning and watering, the shielding from frost at night and sun by day, keeping out weeds, disease, and insect pests. The training and arranging not only teach important lessons concerning now, important lessons concerning the development of character, but the work itself is a means of development. In cultivating carefulness, patience, attention to detail, obedience to law, it imparts a most essential training. I, I like that word essential. What does that mean? The constant contact with the mystery of life and the loveliness of nature as well as the tenderness called forth in ministering to these beautiful objects of God's creation tends to quicken the mind and refine and elevate the character. Thank you. And the lessons taught prepare the worker to deal more successfully with other minds. Isn't that beautiful? Education, page 111. But Back to that one sentence, the attention required in transplanting that not even a root fiber shall be crowded or misplaced. So that's the closest thing I can come to, um, you know, divine inspiration for soil blocks. But um, 
One of the disadvantages of a standard plug tray is what's called root circling. You know, the, the, the roots go to the edge and they have no place to go, so they just start circling. And the plant can easily get root bound. Um, that doesn't happen in, in soil blocks because what happens is the roots go to the edge and they're like, wait, there's nothing out there. And so they just stop and, and they, they contain themselves. It's called air pruning. It's, you know, it's a common term, but um, the soil blocks, because they have more soil and because they have nothing to, to um, cause the roots to circle, they tend to have a much healthier root ball. This is my experience, and I could tell you stories. I've done side-by-side -side comparisons, um, planting the same things in soil blocks as compared to um, plug trays, but I don't have time to tell you all that. I just can tell you that I've never seen healthier transplants. And again, you know, if we're comparing this to raising our children, you know, are you wanting to skimp, scrimp on um, the best environment for them? Well, I don't think, you know, television watching is going to be a problem. Um, I don't think they have to live in the country. You know, if I take them to park once a week, that ought to be enough, right? Um, we want the best environment for starting out. So. As, as I said in this previous slide, it's a modular system. Um, and, and so when it comes to potting on, it's really fun. This is a, a three-quarter inch blocker. Makes 20 cute little blocks. Um, this is great for starting all your heat-loving crops, your tomatoes and peppers and eggplants. And then the other thing I use in three-quarter inch blocks is things that take a long time to germinate, like parsley and um, celery. And, and then basil is another heat-loving one I use on this. And then what you do when, when the seeds have germinated and they've just barely got their cotyledons, you pot them on because you have one of these and notice you've got a, a block that's just the size of these so you just take take the block and plop it in the next size and it keeps growing and then they actually have a four inch blocker it's called a four inch but it's huge I mean it's really more more soil than a six inch pot um, and it's got a hole this size and so you can pot your two inch block onto a four inch block and you'll end up with a tomato plant this big that is so stocky and healthy you know people will want to be buying it from you um, so this is actually a picture at Elliot Coleman's farm and here's all his little tomato starts, and he's got basil down here in the front on a heat mat. So, so think about this. Um, 
you know, how many plants can you start on a heat mat? Because you really want a heat mat for starting your heat-loving crops. Um, with, the, with the mini soil blocker, I can start, I have uh, trays and everything, and it's all detailed in this handout if you want to get them. I can start 600 tomatoes on one heat mat, tomatoes or peppers or whatever. So that's probably all you would want, right? <laughs> you know, in a little space. Now, if you get Elliot Coleman's book, he'll tell you you don't need to cover the seeds on the soil block. You just put them on the surface and they'll grow. My experience with that is that they, they grew kind of funky. Um, and so I, I, for a while, was like use a, a pen, a, like a ballpoint pen or something, and push them down into the block. But that was kind of labor intensive. So now I just sprinkle some finely sifted uh, potting mix on top, and it, it does better for me. Um, and then, you know, the key again is you don't want them to get root bound. And, and I will say, you know, it's, it's a different kind of root bound, but they will still get root bound in a soil block if you leave them too long. You know, like I say, if, if you're supposed to be potting or transplanting them after three weeks and you wait for six weeks, they'll do fine, but, well, I say they'll do fine. They never really do as well, I don't think, but when you put them in the ground, it'll take like a week before they really start growing. Whereas if you put them in the ground at the exact right time, man, they just keep going. They never, they never knew what happened. Okay, so then there's the inch and a half blocker. So these are home scale. You know, these, these will cost you about 30 bucks. I give you the places you can get them on Amazon. The beauty is the last, I have, I have my original blocker. I, I do the stand-up ones. So rather than five blocks at a time, I'm doing 20 blocks at a time. But, you know, those are $200, so it's kind of overkill for home gardeners. But I ha still have my original one that I've had for over 20 years. And I figure I've, well, I, this was years ago, actually. I figured I'd done in the millions of transplants with it. So, it, you know, it's, it's simple. It's sustainable. You're not having these piles of broken trays that you're throwing out all the time. So the inch and a half blocks, and this is actually not a picture of inch and a half blocks. This is at Elliot Coleman's place. But these are the things we do with the inch and a half blocker. Our lettuce and chicories, you know what chicories are? All your radicchios and escaroles and dandelions and all those kind of things. Scallions, we plant 12 seeds to a block. So you have your bunch of scallions in one block ready to go. Kale, collards, beets, we plant two seeds to a block. So, and you know beet seeds actually can often have more than one plant per seed. You know about that, right? 
So we're, we're aiming for no more than four beets per block when they germinate. Kohlrabi, spinach, spinach will do three or four seeds per block. And here's the two-inch blocker with, with this insert. Um, so this insert, you know, you just buy these four things separately. So you can switch them out. They normally come with just a little button insert, but these just pop out. And, and then you can screw these things on. But, you know, if you're doing a lot, you don't want to have to be going back and forth. And so, you know, if, if you're serious about gardening, I, I would recommend you getting two of these. One that you can just keep the inserts in and then one that has the normal thing. So, you know, again, I, I don't want anybody going away feeling like I'm, I, I'm not getting commission from Ladbrook for selling these. These are actually made in England. Ladbrook is the company. So, but it's just a, a simple system that has worked well for us. So, in the two-inch blocks, we do our brassicas, you know, cabbage, broccoli. Um, the kale and collards, we usually do in the inch-and-a-half blocker. But then we also pot on all our tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, celery, parsley. Um, with the insert, like is shown here, you can start your cucumbers and squash. There's actually another blocker, but unfortunately it's not available in a home scale. It's a three inch blocker. It'll do six at a time, blocks about this big. And um, that is actually what we normally start all our squash and cucumbers in. But on a home scale, you can start them in here, but the key is you're gonna wanna pot them on really quick because they won't, their, their roots go, grow very fast and you don't want, they don't like their roots disturbed very well. Another beauty of soil blocks is there are a number of plants that I can't think of right off the top of my head that normally they don't encourage you to transplant because they don't do well with transplanting but they do fine with soil blocks and transplanting. Fennel is another one we do in the two inch blocks. And then, now here is another place, well actually Elliot no longer uses the four inch blocker. You know, we, we made hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands and thousands of four inch soil blocks. But it's pretty labor intensive because it's one at a time and eight to a tray. And when you're doing hundreds, we, we realized at some point that it was just too much. So we now use a five and a half inch pot. They work perfectly. These are actually not very good examples of our transplants. These were some that were a little young and spindly, but normally they're even much nicer than that. Um, and, you know, again, if you, if you plant them out before they get too root bound, we found it works fine. Um, we, in the spring, we 
put all of these onto the big pots, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, cucumbers, squash. You know, it's a lot of potting mix. But another thing to think about is that potting mix is just going into your garden. It's not, I mean, you're enriching your garden soil. Um, I think Elliot says for planting lettuce at standard spacing on an acre, you're, by using soil blocks, you're adding about five tons of organic matter to your soil. Okay, don't forget to harden off your transplants. Um, introducing your babies to the harsh cold world, you want to do it slowly and deliberately. They can't handle the shock of going straight from a sheltered environment to the real world. A lot of spiritual lessons there. So a lot of farmers fudge on this a fair bit, but depending on the weather and a lot of things, you know, you want to start putting them out for just an hour or so the first day, not in the direct sun, not if it's real windy, and you just slowly harden them off. Take, take a few days to get them acclimatized. Don't just put them out there and expect them to thrive. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I thought we were doing good on time, and then we, we ran out. He gave the parable of the tiny mustard seed. He who gave the parable of the tiny mustard seed is the sovereign of heaven, and the same laws that govern earthly seed sowing and reaping govern the sowing of the seeds of truth. In the gospel seed sowing, the word of God is to be communicated as truth. It is to be interwoven with the whole practical life. So just something for you to chew on as you think about the things we've talked about here and as you work in your garden. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.